Hello, this is Bill Curley. And Holly Hudley. And welcome to the podcast In Between, which is an educational offering of St. Paul's United Methodist Church and Ordinary Life. Good morning. Good morning. Let's talk about sex. <laughs> I just sang a little song for you about it. That I know. Was... I know. I didn't know that song. Yeah, it was kind of past your rock and roll time or hip hop time. It was. It was more in my my childhood. <laughs> so last week on this podcast, I think I got inflamed a little bit about the new law that I think has passed in Alabama about making it a criminal offense if a doctor offers any kind of medical prescription advice for people under the age of 18 who are dealing with the issue of transsexuality. Yeah. Could be wrong about that, but I know that there is that. It may not have made it into law, but I know that that was the proposal. Hmm. I'm not an expert in transsexual stuff, but I have a colleague who is, mm -hmm. and he told me that, well, he told me a lot of stuff, but one of the things he told me that is that the ability to delay the onset of puberty for people is a godsend. Yeah, absolutely. It, 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 from what I understand, it can, um, I don't know, the right word is not cause, but it can lend itself to a, a host of other issues. For example, if you can uh, limit the onset of puberty uh, for someone who is trying to avoid, let's say, getting secondary sex characteristics in their assigned gender, it does um, prohibit growth in other areas. So they might remain small or petite or look visibly younger um, and smaller than their, their peers. Um, but that can sort of be mitigated as they become older adolescents and may have access to hormones that can help them adapt to the gender that they identify with. Um, it's, it's so, um, I, this is a, a, a this pales in comparison, but um, you know, I, I know something about what it feels like to be uncomfortable in your own body, not in my own gender, but, um, in my own body. And I, when I was a little girl, I had short pixie haircut. I wore shorts and t-shirts. My favorite shirt was, um, a tuxedo shirt. So it was a t-shirt with a print of a tuxedo on it. And I wore it all the time. My other favorite shirt had an elephant on it. And um, I was called that little boy every day, every, every, every day. Unless wow. I, yeah, unless I wore a skirt that usually my mom made me wear. Um, <laughs> and, um, you know, so what, what didn't ever fit with me was that I didn't think I was a boy. I, I knew and, and felt like a girl. But what I learned was, oh, there's a certain way that I have to present as a girl so that people believe that I'm a girl. So I guess I'm using that to say, I can't imagine what it's like to feel like not only that you're not in the right body, but that you're kind of being betrayed by your body. 
because mm -hmm. the gender that you identify with is not the gender that you were born with. I can imagine wanting to be identified as the gender I was born with and wanted to be identified as such and being completely wrongly categorized. So that's where I can what, relate is in that wrong categorization, right? What, what my colleague told me is that um, just as there have been, has been a certain percent of the human population, this is also true in the animal kingdom, mm -hmm. who are homosexual, Mm -hmm. that, uh, that has always been the case among mm -hmm. homo sapiens. It has also been true that there has always been a certain percentage of people who felt like that they were gender inappropriate, that yeah. they were a man and a woman's body or a woman and a man's body. And that mm -hmm. what has happened over the last number of years is that however painful it is, uh, these people have felt the freedom to seek redress for this yeah. condition yeah. yeah absolutely and, and i wouldn't even say it's a condition it's just an identity right it's like mm -hmm. wanting to be right with your identity and you know there are cultures and belief systems better suited than ours to handle the non-binary structure of gender right um it, it, i think we're in this modern time when especially in America, things feel very binary. You're either right or you're wrong. You're either liberal or you're conservative. You're either pro or anti, you know, it's, um, you're either male or female. You're either gay or straight. And the truth is that human beings are a lot more complex and fluid and dynamic than either or categories. Um, I just read a book recently, a, a novel called this is the way it always is. And it's about a um, biological male who very early in his life identifies as female. And the parents are supportive, want to support this identity, but, um, but they don't tell anyone. And, and she begins to dress as she, grows her hair, um, changes her name. And, and the parents again are supportive and they even move to a whole different place to, to support this kind of becoming, if you will. The secret gets out, it, it, they realize that maybe they've done damage by keeping it a secret instead of wrapping a community of care and love around this child. But the, the whole thing sort of goes toward this pilgrimage that the child and the mother take to Thailand where she learns that in Thailand because of um, a cultural, a culture of Buddhism, that binaries are not, are not so important. And, and she learns from a, another woman like her, that there is actually a whole word, a whole way of being in, in Buddhism for this kind of biological male identify as female and, and that there's a place of acceptance, at least in the tenets of Buddhism. Now the culture and the society may be another thing, but it's, um, there are cultures that are not, that don't demand such rigid categories as we do. There are fish that don't demand such rigid categories as we do. There are fish that fluidly change gender as needed in the population. There are fish that when the primary male in the population dies, one of the females will assert uh, male genitalia, change colors and everything and become the kind of fertilizer for the rest of the group. 
And mm. I, I just, you know, it's like, we call these things abnormal, but they're not, they might be unusual well, or rare, but they're not abnormal, you know? So I, I've got a couple of things to ask you and, and I'm, this podcast is to announce yeah. <laughs> that this coming <laughs> Sunday, we are going to deal with this with a panel of four of us. Mm -hmm. um, and um, I talked yesterday, got to meet yesterday, thanks to Matt Russell, the uh, trans person who is going to be willing to come and be on our panel with us. And I told him that uh, I'm going to be the old person on this panel. And uh, because, you know, a few days ago, my wife asked me, what does the word cis mean? C-I-S. Mm -hmm. Anyway. Mm -hmm. um, so we're going to talk about this. And the reason we're going to talk about it is that in um, March of 2019, mm -hmm. uh, three years ago, over mm -hmm. three years ago, the General Conference of the Methodist Church had got in a big brouhaha that has now led to the split in the Methodist Church. Uh, which is just, it's just, it's laughable. Um, an entire new denomination has been formed called the Global Methodist Church, which is not going to be global. And it's leaving uh, the other Methodists, so-called the United Methodists, which are splitting. So we're no longer united in this myth. Anyway, I, I was talking to some people at dinner last night not only about what we were going to do in class, they said they would be there on Sunday, but we were talking about the upcoming annual conference in the Methodist Church to deal with this issue of full inclusion. And they said, the church is dealing with an issue nobody else in the society thinks is worth dealing with. They moved on. Do you think that's true? And they were saying that, that to paint the church in a positive light or in a negative, a negative light? light? Yeah. Oh, I see. Okay, I see what you're saying. I think I heard that as kind of at least the church is dealing with it. Um, uh, yeah, no, I think the church is. I, so I was going to say, I think the church is way behind. Um, now I say that, and I live in a bubble that, that you know, I have, um, I have a gender fluid person in my life. I have friends with uh, kids who are, um, who are identifying differently than the sex they were assigned. Um, I have uh, same-sex marriage friends and who are in our life and bisexual friends. So I live in a bubble that feels really like however you want to show up, you know, mm -hmm. um, but I'm very aware that that bubble um, could so easily be popped. Um, so I do think there are sectors of the society that are like catch up already, catch up. But I, don't, then, I also think that there's sectors of the society that are like terrified of what this non-binary structure looks like because they're so not only not only are they terrified, yeah. but they also seem to have the power. That's what it feels like. Well, I shouldn't say that's what it feels like. That's what it is like, <laughs> you know. And um, I think you know it, what's so interesting is that I've heard people who kind of are in defense of, let's say, um, the the right or the religious right, say, "Well, this too is about protection. This too is about the idea of keeping people safe." But 
when safety is kept by control, it's not safe. You know, it, it's not safe. It's the illusion of safety mm-hmm. because there's certain rules to follow. There's patterns, there's yeses and nos, there's blacks and whites, but um, control is not safety. It, it's control. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, if I were phobic six on the Enneagram, I might think that control is safety, but I'm not. Yeah. <laughs> One of the things that people on the right are saying is that they want to ban books, including math books in some cases, because they fear that the literature that, and as well as other things that children are being exposed to, is grooming them to have an alternate sexual identity. Um, And yesterday I got an email from a friend of mine in California who said, and I intend to show this slide on Sunday. He said, I don't want to hear about grooming from people who pose their kids at farms for Christmas photos. Yeah. That's grooming too. That's completely grooming. And, and, and I will tell you, as somebody who is psychologically trained, you don't groom somebody for a sexual identity. You do not. No, you do not. I mean, I've walked alongside um, many adolescents who have trusted me enough to come out to me, right? Mm-hmm. Or um, at a time when even coming out. So in the, in the 90s, coming out as an adolescent was not was not as accepted as it is today, right? Um, and I've been the lucky beneficiary in the room with students when they disclose, I haven't told anyone, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and I know for a fact, and a friend of mine once said, why would anyone choose, and she is a lesbian, said, why would anyone choose this in a society where choosing it is never easier? <laughs> you know? Right. Um, so how can that? you know, I mean, I think that what, what I would like to create in the world is a space where, you know, this isn't grooming. I'd like to think that what you and I are committed to is creating a space of belonging. Mm -hmm. And questioning. Yeah. Like it's okay to come here with questions. One of of the people who's going to be on our panel on Sunday is Roddy Young. And you and I both have known Roddy for a long time. I've known him longer than you. Yeah, and you I love Roddy. And yeah. He's so funny. <laughs> and uh, there is a story about Roddy that another friend of ours tells is that the two of them were in a car going somewhere one time. And uh, Roddy was sitting in the passenger seat. The other person was driving. Oh, no. Roddy was driving and the other person was sitting in the passenger seat giving directions. And he said to Roddy at the upcoming intersection, go straight here. And Roddy said, if I could have, I would have. <laughs> right. He's so funny. Yeah. But anyway, he, he says, why would anybody choose to be gay in a culture that is so homophobic? Because it's embarrassing and it's difficult. It, it is. And it does harm. I mean, we, by being so, again, binary, have done harm. We as a culture, I mean, I don't mean you and me. I just mean as a culture, we've done harm to people, too many people for demanding something Mm -hmm. of them that they just can't be. It's like telling me, Mm -hmm. 
that I need to be uh, blonde, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like I can't choose that. And well, I suppose I could dye my hair and fake it, but, and that's kind of the analogy is like, you demand someone to be something they're not, they're, they're faking it. We're asking that they fake it. We're asking that they leave something of themselves behind all of the time. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, you know, again, it's like, there's so many layers of, um, I was reading something or listening to something the other day, a short video by a psychologist uh, talking about family and child therapy. And he was talking about um, the fact that everybody, every single one of us has subjugated aspects of ourselves as well as privileged aspects of ourselves, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and there's nuances there and there's intersections. Um, and, and for sure, I, I come to this table with a lot of privileges. Um, I'm white, I'm female, I'm cisgendered, I'm able-bodied, I'm heterosexual, I'm wealthy by world standards and, and frankly, by many standards, but, uh, but I'm female. And there are ways in which being female in our culture is an experience of subjugation, no matter how smart you are, mm-hmm. you know? And so there's layers of that subjugation. I may experience less than another person. Um, and at different times I may experience just as much because of the environment or the circumstance that I'm in, you know? So, uh, the people that we had dinner with last night were very, very helpful to me in just articulating some things that I know, but I didn't know how to put in the words, you know, it's like, uh, I've heard you say things that I would sit and watch you and say, I knew that, but I didn't know that I knew that. That's so right to me that I knew yeah. that. But they are, is this a way that I, I said that one of the reasons also that got me, and then I got you to do it with me this Sunday, to, to talk about this is the Roe Ro versus Wade thing. Yep. And so what uh, the woman in the couple that we were visiting with last night, a very smart lawyer woman uh, said is that if you give women autonomy, they're going to show their competency and be able to move up in the world and take your place. And that's what men don't want. Hmm. So so this thing that I'm hearing about replacement theory, the good old white powerful guys, they got it too. They're fearful of being replaced by competent women. So I don't think that women want to take anyone's place. Just as I don't think that like subjugated populations, black people, immigrants want to take anyone's place. I think they want to participate, not in the society that we've created and demanded, but participate in a way that creates belonging, right? Contribute. I I don't want to take any man's place. I want to show up fully as myself, as a female, as one who comes with feminine gifts and, you know, I think what they were saying is that if women show up fully as themselves, they're going to replace a lot of incompetent men. <laughs> now that may be true. <laughs> that, I think right. that is true. Yeah. I think that is true. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, somebody also said to me months ago when we were talking about uh, the upset that happened in Charlottesville some time ago is that 
if you look at the demographic of those white men, many of them are not college educated. They, yeah. they do not have education. And what they see when they look around is people who are taking advantage of educational system and opportunity who are in fact moving ahead of them in the economic and educational and business world. And that makes them very angry and fearful. Yeah. There's a book, I haven't read it, Josh has, um, called Mediocrity. Have you heard of it? It's about, it's essentially about the sort of plight of the mediocre white male and how there's been such an allowance for mediocrity to thrive in the specifically white male population um, because there has been a glass ceiling that so many other people can't break through, right? Um, and I think that there's, and so, and so the demands of the people who do break through the gla glass ceiling, let's just say Obama, first non-white president ever in, in America, had to be perfect. He was not allowed to be mediocre. You, you know what I'm saying? So there's this standard that we have of, of kind of, well, if you're going to break the glass ceiling, you need to show us that you're worth it. They're not allowed to fail. They're not allowed to mess up. You know, these standards of perfection that are um, imposed on um, the non-white male or anyone else who's not in that category um, are not held for the white male who's held power in this country for 400 years, you know? So no, wasn't it also wasn't some it? incredible white men. I'm looking at one right now. <laughs> 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 wasn't it glorious? Thank you. Wasn't it glorious time they said that in order to achieve something in the world, women must be able to be as competent, efficient, proficient, capable as men? And fortunately, this is very easy. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't know the quote, but I mean, it's, um, yeah, it's, uh, the, who, 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 what did I hear? Uh, oh, I, I gave you that video of Abby Wambach, one of my kind of. I hope you play part of that Sunday. Uh, I hope so too. One of my sort of, I have to download it in a different way, but um, one of my childhood superheroes, um, she's a little bit older than I am. So really as a teenager, I watched her play professional soccer and I was a soccer player. So anyway, I, I, I love her. I have always loved her. Um, you know, she said, I believe, um, how did she say? I believe that uh, boys can do anything girls can do. <laughs> <laughs> and I just loved that kind of turning it on its head a little bit, you know? Right. And there's also the old joke about uh, Ginger Rogers could do everything that yeah. Fred Astaire could do and do it just as well. Uh -huh. Plus, she could do it backwards. Uh -huh. and, in and in heels. <laughs> and in heels. Yeah. 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 So, yeah. No, I mean, it's. Good. Well, it's, you know, so I have a. Yeah. I have a desired outcome for mm -hmm. uh, Sunday, and I, I might even read part of what I did the Sunday after this disastrous general conference in 2019. Mm -hmm. I want the people who come to Ordinary Life and those who don't, but who might get the message, to know that they're welcome here. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. I'd like for us to do some education. Yeah. And... Some of that education, I think, is about, as you mentioned, identifying what are accepted 
what are the most current accepted gender categories, right? They're not so black and white, you know, it just is the, what is the language that we use and are using? And then, uh, you know, to quote Abby Wambach again, to flip some tables <laughs> to mm -hmm. say, you know, there is a place of radical inclusion and we can either choose mm -hmm. to build it or we can choose to resist it. Jet said that he was going to bring Sunday a list of uh, terms from, I think he said Baylor College of Medicine. Great, yeah. That are used now for gender identity issues. That would be very helpful. Um, yeah, I think it is, you know, equipped with the, the right language. I think language is power and language has the power to heal and language has the power to harm and language has the power to include and exclude. So the more we can wrap our language around our intentions, the better off we are. Feels like we have a huge agenda. Mm -hmm. Yeah, might need two oh. Sundays. <laughs> we could probably do that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. It's so are your kids are your kids receiving sex education this school? No. I don't think they've received one iota of it that I'm aware of. I used to teach health education um, uh, when I moved back to Houston and worked in a high school. And my orders from the state of Texas were to teach abstinence and um, to teach heteronormative sex ed. So I did, and then I untaught it. Mm. <laughs> and I talked about body image and I talked about um, girls developing healthy senses of self so that we didn't have to comply with social expectations of, you know, on the one hand, there's, I was sort of re reading through the archetypes of the dominant archetypes of femininity are the whore, the virgin and the mother. And those three expectations on women all get really confused. You know, we, we, get, we get a lot of different messaging from our society about who and how we're supposed to be. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We certainly have a lot of work to do in bringing things that are in the unconscious into the conscious. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. A lot. Yeah. Because those archetypes that you just mentioned for the female <clears throat> certainly operate very powerfully in men. Sure. Yeah. I think I think that, that that's something to speak to too, is how what are the expectations of masculinity? There, you know, and when what and how is that done? I don't know if the right word is damage, but how is that split you off from another aspect of self? Right. Mm -hmm. And how do we regather those aspects of self that create the whole picture? Yeah. So do you have a, a, an additional aspiration for Sunday? Um, <clears throat> I have a working idea around setting a framework that is based in philosophy, uh, religious language, to specifically Hebrew and nature or evolution. And we talked a little bit about the evolutionary piece that there, it's not abnormal to have gender fluidity um, in the natural world. 
right? Um, in the Hebrew language, I want to talk about the word Yahweh and how it is thought to be an anagram for the he-she-ness of God. Um, and in philosophy, I want to talk about the story that Aristophanes tells about how we got split off from our whole selves and how our fate is to recombine ourselves to that whole self. So my hope is that we offer some food for thought to ask ourselves, what aspects of ourself are we not in wholeness with that are being projected dangerously onto others, either generally speaking as a society, that's where violence comes from is when we project the unhealed parts of ourself onto others. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't know if I answered your question, but the hope is- okay. I've just been musing about it. Mm -hmm. So I think I, I, I think it should be a good uh, good time and good discussion around sex, sexuality, <laughs> um, choices, yeah, identity, yeah, how we meet each other, all of that, yeah, whatever. Well, you know, when you you hear about the laws in Alabama about trans stuff. Where do you think that comes from? Why is there such a need on the part of some people to control this particular issue? Um, well, again, I think it comes down to confusing control with safety. Um, and I think it comes down to, um, I even think the issue of transgender identity and acceptance comes down to sex. Like we have such prudish, puritanical ideas about sex and sexuality in this country that it influences all of the ways in which we legislate how those identities get to show up. Um, I think we have a very distorted idea about sex. And I mean like mm. actually sex, not just gender. Um, and so I think that plays out into, into so many categories. You said to me that you thought the pen was poised, that if Roe versus Wade gets overturned. When? When? When Roe versus Wade gets overturned, that we're going to see other things coming down the pipe. What are those? I mean, I think one of the first to be attacked after that is going to be marriage equity marriage equality. I think we're already seeing the attack on transgender rights. Um, and I've read in some cases that uh, in radical states like our own, that even interracial marriage is on the table. Mm. So abortion is a linchpin. Once it's pulled out, yay, we get to control people's bodies in all these other ways. So I read in the polls that the majority of people are in favor of Roe versus Wade. The majority of the population. Mm -hmm. Why doesn't that show up in the voting booth? I don't know. I wonder if people have become complacent. I wonder if people have become 
jaded by what kind of power we have. I mean, if we say that we are for keeping Roe versus Wade, but we've got five Supreme Court justices who aren't, who wield the power to rewrite the law. Mm -hmm. I can imagine that many of us might throw our hands up and be like, what have I got? And who by, the, who, 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 by the way, lied mm -hmm. in order to get in their position. Mm -hmm. Talking about grooming people. Yeah. So, you know, the lawmaker's job is to uphold justice for the most people most of the time. It's not to come with their own personal agenda. You know, but I don't see that happening here. I mean, the, the Supreme Court is more politicized right now than I remember being aware of it being in the, in the past. I'm, I'm sure that it was. I'm just suggesting that mm -hmm. I'm, I'm, I may be finally opening my eyes to it. Mm -hmm. so. mm -hmm. Well, I think it's going to be interesting to have this conversation Sunday. Mm -hmm. <laughs> There's a lot of threads we could tug on here. <laughs> so. Well, yeah, and uh, I'm interested to hear what Roddy and Jet have to say to contribute to this. Mm -hmm. um, Roddy, I, I know, as I said a minute ago, very well, and he and his partner who have been uh, together for close to 50 years. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I love them both. They're you, yeah, both funny, talented, great guys. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And then what what little experience I had with Jeff was also a lot of fun yesterday. Yeah. And I appreciate Matt getting me connected, getting us connected with him. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. well, all right, everybody, let's open and, that Pandora's box. <laughs> and 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 before we go, uh -huh. I, I apologize for not getting this. In the summary that went out, I just went unconscious about it. Tell us about tomorrow night's iconoclast thing oh. so people can go. Well, by the time the podcast gets released, it'll be the same day. So Thursday night, uh, there's a performance by our young poets at Iconoclast Artists at the Museum of Fine Arts that starts at 630. And these young poets are some of the most uh, powerful, courageous, <laughs> expressive kids that we get to encounter on a day-to-day -day basis and they've written a volume of poetry um, and they'll be performing some of it tomorrow at the museum okay. so, yeah. that's one of the great things that happen well thank you thank you <laughs> for being willing to come on sunday and do this and absolutely hope people join us yeah <laughs> all righty all right talk to you soon. see you later bye bye